As I've been thinking about culture these days, I've been noticing the big difference in the Filipino-Chinese culture, greatly differing from the American culture that I grew up in. One of the biggest differences in the Filipino-Chinese culture from that of the American culture is that you can tell someone who you don't know really well, almost point blank, that they are fat. You see, in America, the only two people that can dare tell you that you are fat is your personal doctor and your parents, at least up to a certain age. And even in that, they would be very gentle. They wouldn't use the word fat. They would say, you're a bit overweight, heavy, stout, or perhaps even big bone, but definitely not fat. So can you imagine the culture shock when a few years ago I moved back here and people who I didn't know very well would come up to me and say to me, Pastor, you're fat. I even had one person who I was not very close to come up to me and rub my belly as if I was a lucky Buddha or something. I used to mind, but I don't mind anymore. I've embraced it. I see it as a term of endearment. They care very much for me. And I thought about this interesting cultural phenomenon and came to the conclusion that this is so because of a few reasons. Firstly, there aren't generally many fat people living in Asia. You know, people ask me all the time, Pastor, when you travel around Southeast Asia, why don't you buy many things? I want to tell them it's because nothing fits me. In the U.S., my size is XL, not too bad, extra large. But in Asia, I'm a 4XL. That's extra, 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 extra large. You can see how that builds into my confidence. And most places don't sell 4X shirts. My friends in Texas used to tell me, you know, you're the biggest Asian I've ever seen. I want to tell them, have you never, ever seen a sumo wrestler? But secondly, I come to the realization that Amongst our Asian culture, there are very few, very few private issues. Your business is everybody's business. And this perhaps comes from our more communal, group-oriented mindset than the individualism that pervades the Western culture. So people uh, will ask you how much you weigh publicly, which is definitely a no-no in the U.S. People will ask you how much money you make. How much does your house cost? How much was that gift you gave me? Some things that are simply not asked or would be dared to be asked in the Western world. Well, love it or hate it, that's simply the part of the culture in which you live. And if you are not aware of it, then you will get offended. As we defined last week, culture is a way of thinking. It is a way of living. It is a way of behaving that defines a group of people. But because we often don't actively think about culture, we allow the environment to define our set of beliefs, or what we would call worldviews. Only when we are exposed and introduced to an opposing cultural practice, or an opposing way of acting or believing, that we are made aware of the cultural context of which we are a part. As we mentioned last week, a Christian's responsibility is to engage to transform the culture for Jesus Christ. Now, if you didn't catch last week's sermon or you weren't here with us last week, I highly encourage you to listen to last week's sermon. That is the foundational message by which we will talk about all of the other messages in this series. 
You see, ongoing, we will be looking at seven cultural practices that are a part of our environment that we need to filter through a biblical grid to see if it is something that we will accept or something we desire to transform. And we begin with the first of these cultural practices, which is our Asian culture. And in two weeks, we will talk about the sexual culture. But let me just note, as I talk about the Asian culture, I may interchange the word Asian with Chinese because of the majority culture in our context. But if you're not Chinese, but you hear the word Chinese, just translate that into Asian or Filipino. Asian cultural practices are varied. And there's so many variations and so many nuances that I will not be able to cover everything this morning. So I will speak in generalities. I will give you some principles by which you can engage the Asian culture and then talk about some specific examples that I believe permeate our specific cultural context that we need to address. When I refer to the Asian or Chinese culture, I'm referring to the manner, the ways, the, the customs that make us Asian or Chinese. In this way, we are talking about our ethnic culture. Some manners and cultures of our ethnic culture are neutral. They are neither right nor wrong. There is no spiritual significance to them. You can continue to be a good Christian while continuing these cultural practices. For example, a barong, wearing a barong is culturally Filipino. You can still wear a barong and still be a good Christian. A chipao is culturally Chinese for the ladies. You can still wear a chipao and be a good Christian. Although the length of that chipao and the slit is a whole nother matter that relates to modesty, and that's a whole different topic for a different time. But there are some manners and some customs of our ethnic culture that simply are spiritually wrong. They are not neutral. The cultural practice would be wicked and opposed to what the Word of God says. In these cases, Christians should be taught to go against the culture in obedience to the Word of God. For example, if you are a Christian, you can no longer continue to be a headhunter. If you are a Christian, you cannot worship false gods. You cannot offer sacrifices Historically, from what I've read and researched, many of our Asian Chinese traditions are based on Buddhist or Taoist or Confucius, Chinese folk religion philosophies and beliefs. And if you're unfamiliar with these religions, I encourage you to study more about them so that you can understand and see that these human philosophies are incongruent. They do not fit into a Chinese worldview. That being said, let's take a look at Scripture and draw out some principles for how we can engage the Asian culture. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, as we take a look at verses 6 to 10 and verses 16 to 23. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10 and verses 16 to 23. What does the Bible say how we are to engage the Asian culture? And what are some specific principles we need to learn? Look at verses 6 and 7 with me of Colossians chapter 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, 
So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. When Paul was writing this book to the Christians in Colossae, he was dealing with a problem, not only in that city, but perhaps had made its way into the church. It was the problem of syncretism. Syncretism is what happens when we combine all different systems of philosophy or religious beliefs or practices. It was the culture of that city to accept everything. And perhaps that it worked its way into the church that not only did they believe in Christ, but they began to infuse other folk religion into what they practiced. This is very much a part of our culture today. You can go into a a home of someone uh, here in the Philippines... And you can see a statue of Jesus, a statue of Mary, a statue of Buddha, and all the other gods. The more the merrier, as long as we don't miss one. So Paul, in dealing with this syncretistic belief, laid out the foundation by first telling the the Colossians about their position now that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They are in Christ. This is their primary identity primary identity look at the words used in verse 6 and 7 you you walk in him you are rooted you are built up in him you are established in the faith these words indicate that when we are in christ we are transformed into a new creation you see a lot of people have the notion that somehow whatever their ethnicity is let's say that they're chinese that somehow when they accept christ they simply add on being a christian But the Bible tells us that when we accept Christ, when our position is in Christ, it radically transforms us into a new creation. We are Christians. And what happens is that our ethnicity is our secondary identification. We are Filipino, we are Chinese, we are Filipino-Chinese. But we are primarily Christian. That is our position and identity in Christ. You know, being in America, I'm referred to as an Asian American. But technically, I'm simply American. I have a passport and a citizenship certificate that says I'm an American, who happens to be of Asian ethnicity. I always find it ironic that they refer to Asian Americans, to Latin Americans, to African Americans, but they rarely refer to Caucasian white American as European Americans. They're simply Americans. The reason I bring this up is in the same way, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are a Christian. And the subset ethnicity only defines you as a subset, as a Christian who happens to be Chinese, or a Christian who is Filipino, a Christian who is Chinese-Filipino, a Christian who is American, a Christian who is Thai or Cambodian. Just like there are Buddhists who are Chinese. There are Buddhists who are Thai. There are Buddhists who are Cambodian. I I hope you see the difference there. You are a Christian first. And you are a Chinese second. That is not degrading your culture at all. That is the reality of your primary identity in Christ. When you accepted Christ and you were transformed into a new creation That means you have just as much right to claim the culture of which you are a part and engage it, as we talked about last week. 
You have just as much right to define the Chinese culture through the lenses of Christianity because you are Chinese. Do not cede the ethnic culture to other religions. Because that's exactly what the Buddhists are doing. And the Taoists, they're engaging the Chinese culture and trying to make sure that there is no difference between one and the other. And so there was an old saying from the early 1800s to the early 2000s. One more Christian is one less Chinese. And that's simply not true. That was said to somehow show that being Christian and being Chinese were incongruent. You can't be two. But that's false. But to engage the Asian culture, you have to be secure in your own identity. You are a Christian first. And there lies our first principle, number one, of your taking notes. Your primary identity in Christ is as a Christian. Your primary identity in Christ is as a Christian. Christian first, Chinese second. This will help you engage the culture. And this is the truth of the matter, whatever the case. Look at verse 8 to verse 10 for our second principle. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and powers. Paul continues by saying, Be careful not to follow the empty philosophies and traditions and practices of men, which are found to be empty. You know, Paul is not saying that philosophy is bad. In fact, philosophy is simply a study of clarity and understanding to the basic questions concerning who is God, what is man, and what is the purpose of life. The problem is how we answer those questions, is what Paul is saying. If the problems that are brought up through philosophy are answered through the tradition of men, according to the principles of this world, then it is rooted in emptiness. It's not true. But if it is answered to the Word of God, then those questions can be answered correctly. Why is this important? Because I encounter so many people who tell me they follow a particular set of beliefs or religion because of tradition. I am this because my family believes in this as if somehow that defines what they are to believe. I became a Buddhist because I married into a Buddhist family. My parents were Taoist, and so to honor them, I continued the practices of Taoism. That's a sad, sad truth if it is lived out, because we understand faith to be a personal decision. And the Bible says very clearly, do not be cheated through empty deceit, which are according to the tradition of men, according to the principles of this world. You are not bound to what you believe because of your family. Each of you will be called to account one day of whether you accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And an excuse of, I could not because of my family will not cut it when you meet the Lord. 
So Paul was saying, be careful. Your, your cultural practices may seem innocuous. They may seem harmless. But it is cheating you out of the truthful way of living your life. You are being deceived. And what you believe will drive how you live out your life. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write three words for me. Would you write the word beliefs? And then write the word values. And then finally, write the word actions. Draw an arrow from beliefs to values. And draw an arrow from values to actions. Here's why I'm asking you to do this. What you believe will drive your values. What you value will drive your actions. You see, how you live your life tells me what are your values and what are your beliefs. And I don't want to harp on this, but it fits perfectly. If you're coming late, if the action of you coming late, and you may have a thousand and one reasons, that's between you and God, but I'm simply, if you come late as an action, then I can tell that you do not value very much worship. And I can tell from your value of worship that you don't believe that God is important enough to worship Him from beginning to end in an orderly process. That's the truth. What you believe drives your values. What you value will drive your action. If you believe that the worship of God is the premier act that we are to live out in our Christian walk, then you will value a time of corporate worship, and the action will be that you will come early and on time. Now, more than harping on that issue... Let me give you another example. If you believe that praying to the dead is wrong, which it is according to the Bible, if you believe that with your heart of hearts, then you will not value the burning of incense, which represents prayers for the dead. And therefore, your action is that you will not go and light incense to your ancestors, something we call pai pai. Beliefs drives your values. Values drive your actions. So what do you believe? You see, Paul is saying in these verses, you can only have one set of belief. You can't have two. One is either right or one is wrong. And some aspects of our Asian Chinese culture simply don't jive with our Christian beliefs. So you have to pick one or the other. Let me just note on the side here that it's often noted that Christianity is a Western religion. And that's why it is so incongruent. It doesn't fit in with the Asian, Eastern culture. But historically, that's simply not true. Study history. Our Christian faith is very much Eastern. It started in the ancient Near East. It sprung out of a, a very Eastern Jewish faith. We were only referred to a Western European religion when Christianity was banned in China after Christians stopped offering sacrifices to their ancestors. That's what happened. Study your history. So your worldview and how you see the world will define your values and your actions. And therein lies our second principle, number two. Our actions are driven by our set of beliefs, which must be according to Christ. Our actions are driven by our set of beliefs, which must be according to Christ. That's the second principle by which we are to engage the Asian culture. Our actions are driven by a set of beliefs, and those set of beliefs are foundationed upon the Word of God. Now, with those two principles in mind, let's talk about some specifics. Jump down to verse 16 with me. 
Paul has given two principles. Now he addresses three specific false ideas that had perpetuated this synchronistic culture of the Colossians. These three philosophies can also be found in part in our Asian Chinese culture. Look at verse 16 and 17 with me. Paul writes, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. I don't have time to fully exposit these verses, but here Paul is addressing the first humanistic philosophy that is a false teaching, and that is the false teaching, number one, of legalism. Verse 16 and 17 is talking about legalism. Well, what is legalism? Legalism is advocating obedience to various rules that are not found in Scripture or no longer applicable to the Christians, such as the Mosaic Law, and thinking that somehow by following these extra-biblical rules that we will gain more of God's love. And that by following these rules that are not set in the Scripture, that the deity will love you more and bless you more and give you more things. What is mentioned in verse 16 and 17 is five things that were a part of Judaism that Paul says are no longer bound to the Christian because now we are in Christ. You see, there's a lot of people, even amongst our Christian culture, that think that by observing a set of rules, we will somehow win God's favor. And somehow the deity will love us more. That's why I've mentioned that before a major test, a board examination, before a major business deal, Christians pop up at church. Because they think that by coming here, that God would be happy with them. And if God is happy, then you will be blessed. That is a very legalistic thought. What is the danger of legalism? The danger of legalism is that we place our confidence of our spiritual life in a practice rather than in a person. Did you get that? In legalism, we place our confidence in a practice than in the person of Christ. And that invariably leads to loving the practice more than loving the person. There's a lot of things in the Chinese culture I don't understand. But if you were to ask the elders, why do we do this? They couldn't tell you either. They would simply answer, we've been doing this for 5,000 years. Don't you rock the boat. All right? The importance is on the practice now more than the person and the reason it's being done. And so a lot of aspects of our Asian Chinese culture can be categorized as legalistic, one of which is feng shui, a set of beliefs that you must follow in your home and now in the way that you live so that the energy runs through well. And by doing so, you will incur the blessings. They would even ascribe it to God, just simply, if you follow these rules, you will be blessed. Some do it by ascribing significance to colors. Some in our culture do so with dates. So you've got to ask yourself, what rules do we set up as Christians who are Chinese or Asian that is not in the Word of God? You know, I see a lot of legalistic rules when it comes to Chinese funerals. Uh, if you go to pay respect to one who has passed away and they have a more Asian or Chinese tradition, 
if you visit them, you will find a piece of paper often that is taped on the door. Now, I wonder how many of you know what that says. Most of you should be able to read it in the Chinese character, but the reality is you have no idea because you can't read it. That is not the name of the deceased. What is on that piece of paper uh, is instructions for those who can enter and those who cannot. Because of the zodiac symbols that are associated with Chinese horoscope, or we often call it uh, your, uh, your animal that is associated with your birth year. If that deceased person is of a specific animal, then there are three animals that cannot enter, lest your energy force and the energy force of the deceased will clash a chong. That's the idea. And so that piece of paper says, if you're of this zodiac symbol, you cannot enter. The rest can enter freely. Ridiculous. And yet so many Christians who are Chinese follow it. You say, well, what's the big deal? It's cultural. It's pretty cool. I don't have to go in. Let me tell you what. The Bible tells us the law, legalism, shackles us. We have freedom in Christ, but legalism shackles us. You can read more about legalism and freedom in Christ in the book of Galatians. But I remember officiating a memorial service before the burial uh, of a dearly departed. And I uh, came, and uh, outside was uh, the daughter of this man who was crying, crying nonstop. And so I, as the pastor, thought I would come and comfort uh, this young woman. And I said, it'll be okay. Um, you know, we'll see him again uh, because he knew Christ. And she said, Pastor, I know. Oh, I said, well, are you going to be okay? You seem to be really disturbed. She says, I've accepted the fact that I'll see him in heaven again. But why I'm crying is that I'm not allowed to go inside and see my father for the last time. I said, Why? Because I'm one of those three animals that somehow my energy force will clash with my father's. And I'm crying because I can't go in. My uncles, my aunts will not aunt allow me to go in. I said, you're the daughter. You come with me. I'm the pastor. You just walk in with me. We don't believe this stuff. You know what she said? Pastor, it's okay. I don't want to cause any problems. I broke my heart. That broke my heart, not only for her, but because of how culture, legalistic culture, so shackles us in our faith. We honor the rules that are appropriate, but we are not bound by them. Now, let me just say here, we're not to be obnoxious. Don't be rude about it. There are some proper decorum for the dignity of those who have departed. Do not go wear red to a funeral and say, I have the joy of the Lord, I can wear red. That's just being obnoxious. We honor those who have passed, but we're not bound by those rules. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to funerals, they don't know what to do. They just want to do it very Asian-like or very Chinese-like, and they don't know the protocols. And quite honestly, there are not a lot of protocols you need to follow, but they think they need to do so that the community would be happy with them. 
And so they go to the Chinese banner store, the Tiaktiam. And they ask the guy who is operating the Tiaktiam, the banner store, what are the things I need to do? And let me tell you what, the advice that he gives are mostly Buddhist and Taoist beliefs and practices. You are more than welcome to call the church. And we would be more than welcome to happily guide you to what you need to do. You don't have to follow all that the Tiaktiam says you have to do. There is a Christian way that honors the Lord. The headdress, the shouting, the bowing, the getting on your knees before the casket, those are not appropriate for one who is a follower of Jesus Christ. But there are so many rules, and we don't want to ruin the culture and incur the wrath of the community. But again, you and I, because we are in Christ, have the responsibility and the right to filter it through the Scriptures to see if we are to follow it or to transform it. Things like walking backwards and bringing home the picture of the dad right after the funeral, before the burial, by the firstborn son and the firstborn son not showing up again. Those carry with it religious connotations. And you as a Christian are not bound to those rules. They don't apply to us. They actually don't apply to anyone. Now you may say, well, pastor, you don't know my family. You grew up in a Christian home. You don't have those pressures. I understand. But I also understand what God calls us to do. And if you're an adult and you can make a decision, then you've got to take a stand and say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. There may be those who are not happy with me. That is the expectation of engaging the culture of rejection, but it's okay. Now, if you're a child under the authority of a parent, you can appeal to not do it, but we'll talk more about that a bit later. You are not bound by the humanistic philosophy of legalism. It is incongruent with the Christian faith. Verse 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grow in the increase that is from God. The second false teaching found in these verses is the humanistic philosophy called mysticism. Now, what is mysticism? Mysticism is believing in beings other than Jesus Christ to mediate between God and people, an intermediary that is not Jesus Christ to allow us better access to God or allow God to access and give His blessings to us. The false teaching of that day was encouraging the Christians to pray and worship angels which is specifically condemned in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, you may say, we don't worship angels here. But mysticism takes many forms in our current day. There are teachings that certain beings can improve our relationship with God. That includes praying to dead saints, praying to angels, praying to dead ancestors. And yet this is nowhere taught in the Scriptures. And so everything we must do must be put up against the divine revelation of God through the grid of the Bible. Why is mysticism dangerous? 
Mysticism is dangerous because it takes the focus away from Christ and on what He has done on the cross. Jesus Christ and He alone is the connector between the Heavenly Father and mankind. God does not use secondary and other means to make that connection. Now, mysticism manifests itself in certain Chinese and Asian cultural practices like ancestor worship. You know, the beautiful part about our culture is that the Chinese, we honor the elderly. We remember history. The great historians of the Chinese history recount to us centuries and generations of truth. But sometimes we take it a bit too far. The extreme of honoring the elderly and remembering history is that it comes out as ancestral veneration. And in honoring our dead ancestors, extremely, we begin to offer sacrifices to them. That's why the missionaries of China were kicked out in the late Ming Dynasty and the early Qing Dynasty. Because they did not see that it would fit into a Christian cultural practice that you can offer sacrifices to ancestors. Now, some would say in the culture, the Asian culture, well, you know what? Don't make a big deal out of it. It's only a means by which you pay respect. It's just courtesy. Of course, by doing so, we're also saying we don't want to anger the ancestors so that they can bring good fortune and luck. But to the Christian, in Exodus chapter 20 and in other passages, we are told to worship God and Him alone. You see, ancestor worship is not simply a respectful ceremony. There is religious connotation to it. Incense is your prayers being brought up to heaven to those ancestors. We know the truth in the Scriptures. We know that when we die, our soul and our spirit goes immediately to heaven or to hell. It does not float into the intermediary. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no intermediary state. The life that we live here on this earth will determine our eternal destiny when we die. And those who are in heaven or in hell have no power over how we live our life today. And yet, many of us think that it's simply but a part of our culture. But we know the truth. It is not. Now, how many of you have been in this situation? You're in your parents' home, your grandparents' home. There's a portrait of your ancestor there, your father, your grandfather. It sits on a platform. There's some red lights that surround it, glowing in the room. And it's about that time your parents, your grandparents, ask you to pay respect by burning incense and by bowing. Assuming you are a Christian, what do you do? Do you just go and, and bow and say it's not a big deal? Is it disrespectful to not do so? How do we deal with it? Well, let me read out for you Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. Do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It's pretty clear to me. If you're one who claims to follow Jesus Christ, a Christian, 
and you acknowledge that there's one true God, the Heavenly Father, then you do not even bow to them in worship. If you are an adult who can make a decision in regards to this matter, then you have to take a stand. You have to tell them, I'm so sorry. I'm one who follows Christ. I honor them with the way I live my life. I honor my father. I honor my grandfather with the way I live my life now. I think of them fondly in the memories that I have. And can I just say this? And I've said this before. If you want to honor someone, honor them when they're alive, not when they're dead. A lot of people don't honor our loved ones when they're alive, so they try to make it up when they have long gone. The dead do not know that you are honoring them. Honor them while they are alive. And you can tell your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles, because I'm a believer of Jesus Christ and I am Chinese, I honor them in ways that honor my God who gave me this loved one. Take a stand. Now, what if you were a child? What do you do? You know, I get this question a lot, especially from the school students. Pastor, my parents, who are not Christians, force me to burn incense and to worship our ancestors. What do I do? The first thing I tell them is, would you do me something, a favor? Would you, if this is your conviction... Would you appeal to them? Would you ask them, Dad, Mom, Grandpa, Grandma, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. They may ask why, and you can just tell them, because you sent me to a Christian school. But this is what I believe. And I respectfully ask that I am excused from this practice. You know, a lot of children and young people won't even ask that. They just assume that their parents will say no. But you must appeal. You ask them. As you pray, prayfully ask them. You ask God to change their heart. And I cannot tell you how many young people come back to me so excited. You know, Pastor, after I did what you asked, my parents said, we don't have to do it. I said, that's great. What did they say? They said, when we're asked to do it, go hide somewhere. Don't be around. I said, that's great. Now you're no longer put into this very difficult position. Have you even asked first, prayerfully, from the Lord that God would change your parents or your grandparents' heart? Watch him do amazing things. Now, if you are really bound to do it, where your parents say, if you don't do this, you're excommunicated, you're kicked out of the house, you won't get a fortune... You can't eat, which is probably a very extreme case. If you're forced to do this, then I believe in the grace of God. Go ahead and honor your parents and obey them, knowing that also these practices mean nothing. It's just smoke and a bowl. But that is the last resort. Because for those of you, the majority of you who can make a decision as adults, then you can say, this is not a practice which I will live out. Because I honor God first. My primary identity is as a Christian. My secondary ethnic identity is as, as a Chinese. 
And it doesn't make you any less Chinese to bow and to burn offering to your ancestors. What makes you Chinese is that you honor them. How you honor them is up to you. I hope that makes sense. Verse 20 to 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. The final false teaching that Paul describes in these four verses is that he's warning the Colossian Christians about something called ascetism. A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. Ascetism. That's a worldview. Now, what is ascetism? Ascetism is the practice of self-denial. The practice of abstaining from something in order that God may merit us with greater things. You see, Paul says the false teachers were giving them specific rules that said, don't do this, don't do that, especially as it relates to food. Ascetism is loosely the opposite of legalism. Legalism says, you do this, you do this, you do this. Ascetism says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And by doing so, God or the deity will be happy with you. Both are wrong because we have freedom in Christ. Now, what does modern manifestation of ascetism look like? Well, it could come out in the form of not eating certain foods. I'm a vegetarian. I'm I'm vegan. Now, if you're doing it for health reasons, go right ahead. If you're dieting, go for it. But if you're abstaining from these food because you think that somehow by eating animals that are killed that karma or bad things will happen to you and God would be displeased and the deity would not be happy, then you are succumbing to ascetism. Or not participating in certain events or activities on certain days. We call that date setting. Date watching. That's a modern manifestation of ascetism. We just came out of the so-called ghost months. And there's a lot of Christians and the Chinese culture in general who don't buy new homes, who don't start new businesses, who don't buy cars, who don't have weddings or have special events on these supposed ghost months because in these months is when the demons run wild and bad luck pervades. But since we don't believe that and it's not true, why do many of us follow it? We just go along with the culture. It's not a big deal. And some of us think that that's Chinese culture. We just simply don't have these events on these ghost months. But you and I have a responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ to take back the culture. You are not shackled by legalism or ascetism. You have the freedom to set the very date of your own wedding, the party and the celebration when you want it, when you want to buy a car, when you want to live in a house, when you want to move in. You know, I find it ironic that the Asians always looking for the best deals, the Chinese looking for the best deals. Let me tell you what, you know where the best deals are? It's when you have a celebration on the ghost month. 
I guarantee you, you can have your pick of venues here in the Philippines. I guarantee you that the suppliers will give you a deep discount. But no one ever takes up the offer. Do not cede the culture to them. Now, I understand that sometimes you're bound by the family. If you're not paying for the event, you have no say. It's as simple as that. If you're not paying it, they get the decision. But if you're paying it, which a lot of you are, then you have the right to set the date whenever you want to set that date. Because the Bible tells us every day is a good day. Every day that you have life is a good day. Every day you wake up and you can breathe air into your lungs. Every moment is a good day. Even the day of your death is one of the best days of your life. Why? Because it is the day you get to see your Savior. My friends, take back the culture. Engage it. Transform it. If not, you will be shackled by it. You will be bound by it. Ascetism and legalism will bind you. You will not be able to win. That's why you do not get involved in things like superstition, good luck charms, finding out what your horoscopes are. And we'll talk more about the occultic in a subsequent sermon. But some people carry good luck charms in their bags. In America, it would be a rabbit's foot. And we'd say something like this, Bopai hai, it doesn't hurt. Extra good luck upon you, pretty good. Don't argue with me about dates, your family says. We all need a bit of extra push and good luck. And so in our minds, we say, you know what, it's not a big deal. And we begin to accept it. And by accepting it, you know what happens? We are bound by it. And we can never win. Let me give you an example. Let's say you pick a date. You want to get married. Uh, let's say you want to get married on July 1. It works for you. It's an easy date to remember. July 1, 7-1, great day. But then when you run it by your family, uh, someone who has consulted a calendar of good days and bad days, says, you know what? July 1 doesn't work. It's a bad day to get married. And they propose July 8. Because there's an 8 in there. You say, no, I don't want July 8. I like July 1. I've got all my suppliers lined up. Perfect. So let's say you do insist. And you get married on July 1. Wonderful wedding. Nothing happens. Next day, you and your new bride are driving somewhere. And you get into a car accident. And you break your arm. Do you know what everyone's going to say? See? You got married on July 1, which is a bad day. And this, is, this bad thing happened to you. Now go make amends so that good luck will be upon you. Let's flip it around. Let's say you succumb to the culture and you say, okay, it doesn't hurt. July 8. I can still remember that, 7, 8. Yeah, July 8 works. And so you have a great wedding. And on July 9, you and your new bride are driving somewhere and you get into the same car accident and you break your arm. Do you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, good thing you got married on July 8. Because who would have known if you got married on July 1, you could have died in this accident. 
The only thing that happened to you was that you broke your arm. I can play that game in your minds all day long. And that's what games the world plays. And so you're stuck. You can never win that argument. That's why Paul says, be careful. Once you start saying, well, it doesn't hurt, you're already trapped. We go back to verse 10. We are complete in Christ. We are not bound by mysticism and legalism and ascetism because God already loves us. We do not need to earn more of His favor because as I mentioned before, God loves us just as much today as He ever will. Now my time is up. We can talk about these cultural nuances for the rest of the afternoon. But I'll end it here, and I want to say that it's not easy to juggle both culture. Remember that your primary identity is in Jesus Christ. You are a Christian first. You are Chinese second. And that your actions are based on a set of beliefs, and those set of beliefs must be grounded in the Word of God. I'm not telling you that you need to go home and get rid of everything that is Chinese or Asian. There is so much beauty in our culture. The honoring of elders, filial piety, the music, artistry, the gardens of Asia, the beauty of the poetry, the meaning of the words, the calligraphy even of the Chinese language. One day you will appreciate the calligraphy of the Chinese language. You know, I always tell my friends who tell me the Western culture is, is better with a bit of Asian pride. I tell them, you know what? We Asians didn't want to trade with you Europeans. You had to force your way in through the opium war. We didn't need you. We had paper. We had firecrackers. We had gunpowder. We had a compass. We had a seismograph, which measures earthquake. We had the printing press hundreds of years before Gutenberg. We had tea. I mean, we were happy people. You wanted to trade with us and the silk. The beauty of our culture, which we can embrace. But we are also to engage it and take it back. How do we engage the Asian Chinese culture? Let me sum it up in these two principles. You can keep the custom, but change the meaning. Or you can keep the meaning, but change the custom. Does that make sense? You can keep the custom, but change the meaning, and I'll explain that, which is easier and something harder, or you can keep the meaning, but change the custom. But whatever you do, Jesus Christ must be central. What does it mean to keep the custom, but change the meaning? Well, we just finished mooncake. As you can see, I ate a lot of it. Mooncake is good stuff. A lot of lard, a lot of nuts, a lot of eggs. Good, good stuff. Great part of our culture. But the hundreds of mooncakes, the thousands of mooncakes you give away to your colleagues, to your business associates, to your friends, to your families. I wonder how many of you have kept the custom but tried to change the meaning. What a wonderful vehicle by which you can tell them about Jesus Christ. And they have to accept it. Why? Because it is a gift to them. 
They're not going to reject your mooncake. And I saw this in San Francisco. Some ingenious Chinese businessman made a mold, uh, a mooncake mold, in those four characters that had Jesus loves you. What a great idea. In the years that you've been buying mooncake and giving it away, how many of you have ever thought to ask someone to design a box that reflects the Christian meaning of the significance of this festival? Maybe one of you ingenious businessmen will make a mold, a beautiful mold, that says, Jesus loves me, and we would patronize you. Why? Because as we give out mooncakes, we want to share with you the great truth that Jesus loves you. Keep the custom. Change the meaning. Think about that. You can be so creative in what you can do. But how about keeping the meaning but changing the custom? One of the most beautiful part about Chinese New Year's, at least for the kids or the young people, is uh, the receiving of the hongbao, the, the red envelope. Why? Because in it is money. Wonderful. Who doesn't want money to begin the new year? But we can change the custom because for most of us, we just simply hand out the red envelopes. And grandpa and grandma will say, okay, give me a kiss. Here's your red envelope. That's it. How many of your, you grandparents, you parents, perhaps this year you can start and say, you know what? A few months before, before you receive the hong pao from grandpa and grandma, or from us as parents, you must memorize to us this Bible verse, this psalm. Now, what I just said made a lot of you young people cringe. We're keeping the meaning, but we're changing the custom. Very few. But how amazing that would be. Now, if they don't want to participate, they don't get the money. And you know what? They can't complain. Why? Because you have the money. And the things we will do for money. But we've never thought creatively to engage the culture to change the custom. How many of you, if you're giving these red envelopes away, put in a Bible verse, a blessing, your testimony? I could advocate taking out the money and just putting the Bible verse, but then there would probably be a revolt. But with the money, you can put a Bible verse. Keep the meaning, but change the custom. That is how you engage the culture. And there's a lot of creative ways you can do it. Those are just some of mine. My friends, reclaim the culture. Show the world that being a Christian and being Chinese are not mutually exclusive. Because you and I are walking testimonies of that truth. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. But that is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ who have been bought and purchased by His blood as new creation to transform and engage our culture for Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Challenge even into my heart to begin to think creatively, to engage the culture that at times are so stubborn, a culture that is so 
full of protocols that they've set greater importance on the protocols and the rules than they do about the people. But you came to this world to transform the culture, to recapture the people to yourself. Thank you for breaking the chains that bind us to legalism and ascetism and mysticism. And so I pray, Father, that you would give each person here wisdom and understanding, knowledge from above, with grace and mercy and tenderness, with creativity to know how to engage and transform our Asian culture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.